you got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, we just read through it uh, just a few moments ago, and uh, our theme today is around God's kindness. And uh, that's the theme, we'll see it all through the passage, and I shared that if there is a truth that I, I pray that we all rally around and hold on to, and when we walk out the door today, it's like, kind of what was that theme or that, that, that truth that we're walking away from is that God does desire to use His people to show His kindness to others. Um, I want you to think about a time in your life, if this has happened, where you have found yourself in a place that honestly, like you felt like you just didn't belong. And I don't mean it in a rude way that people are mean or, or, or say things that they're not supposed to toward you or anything like that. I'm just, you're in a place that's so different from what you're used to. You're just like, this is, this is almost, this is strange. This is different. Um, many of y'all know my testimony, my story. Uh, but if God left me up to my plan for my life, I would be selling insurance still in Corinth, Mississippi. That was what I was doing. That was my plan. And uh, I was going to be an independent insurance agent. And uh, over time, uh, God used multiple things in my life to ultimately reveal a different uh, purpose for me, at least vocationally wise. So He used being connected into a local church, which is so vital. Uh, he, used, um, he used just my devotional time, reading His Word and time in prayer and, and in that time, God brought a group of, of godly men around me that held me accountable and we spoke life into each other. And uh, it was just this incredible time of just growth in my walk with the Lord to the point where God made it obvious that, Jared, I didn't make you to be an insurance agent. I've, I'm calling you to this full-time vocational role, which I want to be real quick to say, like, as a believer, we're all called to ministry. We're all called a full-time ministry. It just, the vocation piece can look a little bit different. Uh, and so God revealed clearly that He was calling me to vocational ministry. And so in that pursuit of that call, God opened the door for me to serve of all places, uh, Lakeland, Florida, as a, as a, on a student ministry team down there. And so moved to Florida, and, and when I moved, I hadn't met my Lovely bride yet, the Lord brought us together uh, when we were down there, uh, but didn't know her yet, and I just basically had a couple fishing poles, some clothes, and my sweet Corolla at the time, like that's all I had, and we drove, drove down there, and uh, a, in the kindness of a family, a, a, a family in their kindness opened their home to me, and I lived with them for a little over a year. And as I was living with them, this family, his unique vocation was he was a professional golfer. He played on the PGA Tour, played on the Champions Tour. And as I'm living with them, he would have these tournaments where he would go play. And, and the first tournament of the, of the year was a special tournament. And you can only play in that tournament if you've won in recent years. And so he had won a couple tournaments. And so he was a part of this special tournament that was in January before the season really kicked off. And the tournament was in a place called Hawalalai, which is a super, super nice place over in Hawaii that is really far away. And I will never forget when I, we were driving, he, was he said, I want to take you somewhere. And so I hopped in the car and we're driving. And he said, Jared, he's like, 
Um, you know, we've been talking as a family. We'd really like for you to come with us to Hawaii. <laughs> and I was like, what? You, you, you want me to do what? He's like, yeah, we're the first tournaments in Hawaii. It's going to be a great time. We want you to come with us. And so I was like, okay, let me like check my schedule. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, I would love to. So we went to Hawaii and went to Hawalalai. And this place was nuts. I've never been, I've never been really, I'd never been out of the continental U.S. at that time, much less the South. And, and as we're going, this is like a storybook. It's like a fairy tale. Like I'm, we're in these villas and they open up to the ocean. And I kid you not, I walked into the place. I look out the window and there are whales jumping. Like I've never seen whales other than like SeaWorld. And naturally it's, it's happening out there. And, and the weather was perfect and, and the sun was shining. And, and I'm, I'm certain there was like this constant instrumental music just playing in the background every moment of my life it was just like this just isn't real life I found myself there just being like I don't belong here like I don't belong in Hualalai and and then there would be these like player only access points so only if you're playing in the tournament you can't go past these boundaries and so as we're going to these areas uh, Mr. Brad, he's, he's with me. He's just like, come with me. And I'm like, but, but I'm not allowed to. He's, no, he's like, no, you're with me. So like, come, come on. And so he took me to all these like player-only access areas and in the locker room with all these famous golfers and, and these meals that we shared were like feast for like kings. And I just remember the whole time just being like, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't, I like, how, how did I get here and it was because and through only the kindness of the family to bring me and invite me in and I found myself being at places and at tables that honestly I didn't belong. I found myself at places and tables that are set uh, for other people, not for me. I mean, if I go up and I flash my credentials Oh, what am I going to show? Like, I'm Jared, I'm a youth pastor down in Florida. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work, you know. But because of who I was with, I was able to be brought to these places that I could have never been a part of. And so I share that as a, as a background because of what we're going to read through this morning. King David is Israel's second king. He is the most powerful and influential ruler in the land. God has graced him with great successes. And in that, I don't know what it's like to be a king, but I'm thinking it could be a pretty stressful situation. <laughs> I mean, like you got, you know, potential enemies uh, trying to uh, invade or just the pressures of maintaining a kingdom and and, and all that goes on with that. And, and I'm sure, I don't know what a to-do list looks for a king, but I can only imagine there's a lot that you have to do, a lot you have to stay in front of, lots of anxious moments, opportunities for anxiety and stress and all those things. But in the text we read, we are seeing the most influential and powerful ruler in the land stop what he's doing to specifically and intentionally reflect on this question. God, who can I show your kindness to? Like in the, in the rush of life and in the busyness 
and all the things we have to do and all the things we need to manage and be a part of, he stops to think and reflect on how can I show the kindness of God to others? And so here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And the Bible says this, And David, King David, said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he's, he, is, he is stopping in his tracks and he's considering, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that he can show kindness? Kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Short story, King Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, and you can almost see as he gained more power, he actually became more and more insecure. And as he grew more and more insecure, he felt like everybody was a threat to him. And as he became more and more insecure, you got a guy like David coming along who slays a giant called Goliath. And as he has slayed Goliath and he is making his way back, Saul, the insecure leader, begins hearing a weird kind of song, which honestly, it is very weird, because it goes something like this. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so as an insecure leader, and you're very passionate about remaining in control, you have a young warrior named David, whom God has anointed to be the next king, growing very insecure. He actually tried to kill David multiple times. It wasn't just one time, wasn't just two times, wasn't just three times. It was multiple occasions. And sometimes we forget David actually married one of Saul's daughters, which means it's a son-in-law, which I don't know what the dynamics are, uh, but like I'm thinking like nobody's In-laws are throwing spears at them. I don't, I don't think. I don't think, right? That's, that's not happening, is it? Um, but, 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 but here's the thing. Saul had a son, and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David grew very close. Been many sermons preached on friendship, looking at Jonathan and David. And Jonathan, somewhere along the way, became okay with not being the next in line, which would have been his rightful place. But rather, he knew David would be God's anointed. And so he had this incredible friendship, and they worked out a promise with one another, a covenant. And to again, to fully understand the story we're walking through, I want to reflect on 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. And here's the covenant between Jonathan and David. Jonathan says this, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. And when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And so by the time we're reading 2 Samuel chapter 9, Saul has died in battle. He fell on his own sword. King Saul is dead. Jonathan, his son, is also dead. And so now we are reading King David at this juncture of his leadership. King Saul has passed. His best friend Jonathan has passed. And he is stopping to think, who can I show kindness to? Why? Because of the promise that he made. He keeps his word. And I think this is a powerful truth for all of us because what I love about this, at least in this instance, is that King David, 
maintain his integrity and his character in doing what he said he was going to do, even when he didn't have to. Even when nobody was holding him accountable and even when nobody else was working, David knew the word he gave and he kept his word. And so in 2 Samuel 9, back to 2 Samuel 9 verse 2, the Bible says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, and he is crippled in his feet. So by this point in redemptive history, the only living male descendant in King Saul's family line is this man who we will learn his name is Mephibosheth. And by the way, as we walk through this, there'll be times when I say the full name and there'll be times when I just say Phoebe because it's <laughs> way easier to share. All right. But, but so, so, so Phoebe evidently is the only living heir to King Saul's kingdom. At least male the son of Jonathan. So there's a son and he's crippled at his feet. The reason he's crippled in his feet is because of an accidental injury that the Bible teaches us about in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. We're introduced to Phoebe. He was five years old. And when he was five years old, the Bible tells us that word came to him that his grandfather, the king, had died in battle and that his father had died as well. And the Bible says that the nurse grabbed him as a five-year-old and took off running in haste, the Bible says. And we'll learn a little bit more about why there was such a haste there. But she grabbed him and the Bible says took off and she dropped him along the way and had a paralyzing effect on his legs from the waist down. And so... In ancient times, kind of the norm was if you have a kingdom and you're overtaken by another kingdom, then that new kingdom will chase down any heir and find them and execute them because they are seen as a threat to your throne. And so why in the world would the nurse snatch up this five-year-old boy and take off running after she finds out King Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead? It is because Mephibosheth could be next and he is the heir and they make a run for it. it this is my imagination here, but I can only imagine probably the, the, the rest of, of, of Phoebe's life until we're jumping into chapter 9 here that he is sleeping with one eye open. That any day there could be someone that barges in that door and they find him. And this is the life he's living. And in verse 4, the Bible says that the king said, we're back into this conversation David's having with Ziba. The king said to him, where is he? Where is this son? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. A Lodibar is a, is a, it's an actual place. It's east of the Jordan River. But the name, a lot of times the names will match what a place actually looks like. And Lodibar 
if you translate it, literally means place of no pasture. So it's a wilderness. It's an empty, barren wasteland. And so this is where Mephibosheth is living life in in this empty desert wasteland where there is no pasture. And in verse 5, King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face. And he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. I want to take a moment right there. And I want to go back to Mephibosheth's life. A life on the run. A life of sleeping with one eye open. A life of knowing that he could be number one on the most wanted list. A life of wondering, maybe today's the day where that door barges in and and whoever is in rule finds him. That he's living in this barren wasteland and so one day, that door does open. And they say the king wants to see you. And they they take Mephibosheth, again, could it be that he's on his way and he's, he's thinking he's like a, a dead man walking? Like this is, this is the end. Like this is death row. This is walking to potentially your execution. This is what's going on in his head. And think about the first thing the most powerful ruler in the land says. He says your name and he says, do not fear. And can you imagine the relief that just must have swept over his soul and over his mind? Because all I can imagine he's thinking is judgment has come and this is my last day. Verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. Always. I will show you kindness in our in our. Uh, this is obviously the the Bible. This is our English translation of the original language. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to describe something and you can't. You don't quite have the word to say it. It's like you're trying. You're looking for the right word, and it's just not. You know, like I, I feel this way when I see kindness because kindness is a great word, and that is what this word means. But it's almost there's so much a there's so much of a richer meaning. In the original language, it's mentioned 250 times, but that word kindness means goodness, it means faithfulness, it means loyal love, it means covenant love, it means loving kindness. And this is the, this is the undeserved, um, mercy-filled, grace-filled loving kindness that a king is pouring out on this man from a barren wasteland. David says, I'm going to pull you out of this barren wasteland of Lodibar and I'm going to restore all the land of Saul to you and you will always eat at my table. I'm thinking Phoebe wasn't expecting that (laughs) when he went to the king. But he was met by an amazing grace 
that he could have never had imagined. Verse 8, and he paid homage. And he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And I read this, and the more I read it, the more my heart breaks. Because this valuable soul had come to a point in his life where he thought he was worth as much of a, as a dead animal. Like he come to this point where he feels like he has nothing to give, nothing of value to offer, that he is worthless. His name, Mephibosheth, if you dig into the language, it means breathing shame. His own name means breathing shame. And yet, here he is saying, I don't deserve this. How could, I'm just, I'm just like a dead dog. And here's where my heart breaks is because I have had conversations with people where they, they may not say it like this, but this is what they're saying. They feel they have nothing to offer. They feel they don't have any value. They feel like their, their brokenness maybe has somehow uh, prevented them or even circumstances out of their control. They're like, what do I have to give to God? What do I have to give to somebody else? And they just feel like, they just kind of feel paralyzed of just, just like my worth. But, but that is the whisper of the enemy. That is the whisper of the enemy. What does God say? God says every male and female are created in the image of God. He says it over in Ephesians 2 through the Apostle Paul. He says, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God, prepared, which God has good works, which He prepared in advance that you would walk in. That the Old Testament psalm of how fearfully and wonderfully made each one of you are. Like you are of so much value that He sent, God sent His Son for you. Like incredible, incredible value. And here is this brother that says, I feel like I'm about as much value as a dog that is a, a dead dog. And in verse 9, then the king called Ziba. Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. And so Mephibosheth ate at the king at David's table like one of the king's sons. I love that little verse right there because here he is. You think about it. He he is he's had this 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 illness, suffering all of his life. But when he's pulled up to the king's table, he's just like everybody else. And he's being treated just as the king's sons, like being adopted into his family. And we see in verse 12 that Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate, I love this, always at the king's table. And now he was lame in both of his feet. And this is a powerful picture of kindness. That, that David was there and, and, and the question he ponders is, how can I show your loving kindness, your loyal covenant love kindness, how can I show that 
to somebody else. This is God's plan. God's plan is to show His kindness through His people. It's always been the plan. Why was Abraham blessed? To be a blessing to others. That through his line we see the Messiah has come to bless all nations. All people. That we're blessed to be a blessing. But even in this Old Testament picture, it's almost like a foreshadowing of what Jesus has come to do for all people. Because the Gospel runs all the way through it. The Gospel runs all the way through it. Mephibosheth is a son of the king. But he's of Saul's household and he has been rejected. Saul went his own way. He departed from God's design. He said, my way is better than God's way. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm going to do this on my own timing. And God rejected him over king and anointed David. But here is Mephibosheth. He is in the line of the rejected family. But we all are of the family of Adam. Adam and Eve, that we all have sin. That sin is passed down from generation to generation. This is why uh, I don't have to teach my one-year-old how to sin. They just know how to. Like it, it, comes, it comes so naturally. Because we are. Because we are. Adam and Eve, they like God, they had this fellowship. The Bible says God walked with them. Like I can imagine what a perfect fellowship and world that must have looked like. But at some point along the way, they chose to listen to the whisper of the enemy as to the truth of God. And they said, you know what? I think we know better than God does. So let's depart from God's way of doing things and let's pursue our own way. And we all see how that worked out. It lands in brokenness. And the sin has separated that perfect relationship with a holy God that can only be restored through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And His death, His burial, His resurrection. It's the only way. He was experienced a fall. In Genesis 3, we refer to Genesis 3 and, and Adam and Eve going their own way as the fall. It's, it's, it's this, this choosing to go our own way, rebelling against God's way. And we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've never in my time and you I'm sure you wouldn't either like I've never had to convince anybody that we are perfect people because we're not perfect people Mephibosheth is living in Lodabar it's a place of no pasture it's empty to which I would say apart from a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ life is empty like you can have all the shiny things in the world but meet somebody who has all the shiny things in the world and ask if it is fulfilling to them. It's not. It's like a Lay's potato chip. It's just like, oh, I had one bite. I want to have another bite. Like it just like creates this appetite for more when only Christ can deliver us from this place of no pasture and emptiness. Only He can fulfill. Mephibosheth was helpless apart from God's intervention. Think about it. What happened? King David in his grace pursued Mephibosheth. Met him in his place of brokenness and picked him up and brought him to a place and a table that he did not belong. This is what we see in the Bible and in the Gospel. We love because God first loved. Anybody know it? Us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son like he initiated the rescue plan. He sent His Son. 
He pursues. What do we see all through the Gospel of John as we've been walking through it? We see Jesus pursuing person after person after person to give them life and to give them life to the full. And what do we see? King David met his every need for the rest of his life. I love that word, always. You're always at my table. Always there. Treated him like his own son. Adopted him into his family. He got everything that belonged to the Father. And through David showed his loving kindness and the richness of God's mercy and brought him to a place and a table that he never belonged. And as I reflect... And if we take a moment just like David did to just ponder and think that we would all be quick to be overwhelmed with the loving kindness that God has showed us. That in His grace, meeting us where we are and bringing us to a place that we do not belong. And so in light of this text and the lavishness of God's grace through King David to Mephibosheth, we see this challenge for us as believers, that God desires the world to see and experience His kindness through us. Through us. And so I want to share some questions and some points of possible application for our lives this morning as we are in this week of Thanksgiving. Really, shouldn't every day be Thanksgiving? And really, shouldn't every day be Easter? I mean, because the tomb is empty, every day is different. But we do have this time on the schedule where many people we live uh, with, we work with, or we play, that, that, that for many this is a mark on their calendar that's been set aside even by the secular world to set apart as a time for, for thanksgiving. And so there's this time where there's a focus, there's a sensitivity to it. But I want us to think about this. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing to other people. God has blessed us to be a blessing. And here's the question. And it's the same question King David asked God. And it is, who can I show God's loving kindness to this week? Who can I show God's loving kindness to this week? Loving kindness is undeserved. Loving kindness is full of grace. Loving kindness is lavish. It's over the top. Who is it? And is it possible? And I'm just throwing this out here. The Holy Spirit can lead however He desires. But could it be that there is someone that you, I, we need to invite to be around our table this Thursday? That maybe we have a tradition of doing things a certain way. And I love traditions. We have our own. Like we're Thursday morning, we're waking up, we're eating s'mores around a campfire uh, on Thanksgiving morning. Like that's a tradition, that's what we're going to do, and it's going to be awesome. Tradition is good. But is it, is it possible that God may want to use us to show His kindness to somebody who is in Lodi Bar right now, but could have a place at the table? And then not only that, but perhaps God might want to begin a new tradition and many people have different ways of doing things, and it's great, but maybe there's even a time where it's like, okay, let's take an opportunity and just share what we're thankful for and, and to see that and to hear that and, and to experience that. And so it could be that God wants to 
use us in that very practical way just this week. Just this week. Um, I love Ephesians 4 verse 32. The Bible says, be kind to one another. It's a command. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That reminds me, you know how David was on the run from Saul and Saul tried to kill him all those times? Did you know that that David honored him until his last breath? That's challenging. You got a ruler, he's not just a ruler, he's your father-in-law, and he's tried to murder you multiple times, and yet even when David had his chance, he didn't. He said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. And that, that's a whole other sermon. We're going to get to that one another time. But I just wonder if God wouldn't want to use us in that way. A second challenge that I think is that I think there are those times as a believer when we are seated at the table that we don't belong. And we have experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the blessing of God. And He has laid this feast of grace before us as we walk in life-giving relationship with Him. But have you ever been at a restaurant and your food's really good, but you keep looking at the other person's plate at another table and you're like, man, I wish I would have got some of that. Or you're like, that looks, that looks really good. And so much to the point where you focus on what's over there more than like the feast that you have in front of you. And I just think about that because I do think that there are times where as a believer, temptation can call. And temptation can creep in. And even as a believer, you know, you know that God's grace and His goodness is more than enough. But yet that temptation is there. And so you look to the other table thinking that that thing can satisfy, but yet you know it can't. And this invitation, I believe, the Holy Spirit would call to us to lay our hearts before the Lord and to say, Holy Spirit, is there any way in me that is not honoring you and bringing you glory? And may I repent of that and rest at your table that has way more than I could ever, 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 ever need. And then another challenge. Oh, I want to share Romans 2 verse 4 too good not to share. Maybe you've heard the, the, the passage, but I want you to look at the very end of verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Isn't that good? It's like you, you, we read through a text like this and we see the practical way it plays out in our life and we're reminded that the loving kindness that God has poured out on us, even though we don't deserve, what does that do? It invites us to live a life of surrendered lordship. And of glory to Him and on mission for Him. And it could be that you're here this morning or listening in online. And if we're completely honest, you would say, I understand that my sin has separated me from God. I know that. I don't have to learn that. I know I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know if all things are considered and I'm being completely honest, if you found where I live, you would find out I live in Lodibar. Because I am living in what feels like a barren wasteland, even though like I have stuff and, and, and these things, at the end of the day, there is, there is no satisfaction in my soul. And I know that the King is pursuing me and He's pursuing a life-giving relationship with me to pick me up out of the barren wasteland and to bring me to the table that I don't belong so that I can feast 
on His grace forever and ever and ever. And the invitation is here again. Just as Jesus through the Gospels, and we see it here through the Old Testament, God is pursuing His creation for a life-giving relationship. And that could be you today. And I pray if it is, that today would be the day of repenting of your sin. It's a change in direction. It's a change of mind about sin and self and turning to the Lord and yielding to Him His death, His burial, His resurrection as Lord of all. That's the invitation. And I think that invitation sits right here, right now, just as it always is. It's an open invitation. It's kind of like you may get an invitation in the mail, right? You're invited, but until you do something with it, it's just going to sit on the table. You don't respond, you can pass by it every day. And at some point, the event passes. This is a time where once again, God in His grace is laying this invitation to a life-giving relationship with Him that only comes through Him. And the encouragement is don't let another day pass by that you live in Lodi Bar in emptiness, thinking something is going to satisfy in that land. Nothing, nothing will. So as we wrap up, we're going to do things just a little different. Uh, Pastor David James is going to come and he's going to sing a song over us. And the words are going to be on there. You're welcome to sing along. But the design of this, this time that we have is to reflect on God's truth and reflect and respond to what God has shared through His truth to our hearts. And if you were able to pick up a bulletin on the way in, uh, there was a second insert in there. One was to invite to all the Christmas opportunities we have. Uh, And then the second one is just a half sheet of paper that just says, Dear God. Now, I'm not going to take a poll, but I just wonder, when was the last time you wrote a handwritten letter? And the second question I want to ask is, when was the last time you received a handwritten letter? And I think we can all agree, a handwritten letter is like, It's like gold because it means somebody took the time to do it. And typically, if you're not in too big of a rush, you actually think a little bit more when you write things. And so here is the encouragement, whether it's right now during this message, there's a pen. There should be a pen in the back of every one of these seats. One of my boys came through early this morning to make sure there was. So hopefully, hopefully they're nearby. But I encourage you over the song, I encourage you to write a thank you letter to God for His loving kindness. And here's the thing, if it's like, you know what, I don't, I don't know, I just, then I encourage you, hold on to it. And would you take out, would you carve some time this week and specifically do that? Just you and the Lord, nobody's going to see it. Just you and the Lord. And just thank Him for His loving kindness. Give Him praise for His loving kindness. And, and, and even during this time, here's what we're going to do. Again, we're going to sing over, Pastor David James is going to sing over you. You can sing along, but you're welcome. Pray right there, write right there. Altar's always open. Pastor Jake, myself, will be sitting down on these chairs. If you want to, someone to pray over you, pray with you, can I just invite you? Like, just get up, come sit beside us. We would love to pray over you, pray with you. But let's give, let's give God just this next few minutes our whole heart and in light of 
His amazing loving kindness to give Him glory. And so, let me pray for us and we will worship in this way. Father, we love You. And we thank You for Your loving kindness, Your covenant love, Your loyal love. It's not based on conditions. It's unconditional. And God, I just thank You for this real historical account of how the most powerful ruler in the world carved out time in his very hectic, busy schedule to answer the question, who can I show the kindness of God to? In the world that we're in, it seems almost like it's growing more unkind. And yet, isn't it against the darkest night that the light shines the brightest? So God, as we... Reflect even now as we walk through the week. God, may we be intentional to show your loving kindness to others. God, thank you for inviting us and carrying us to a table that we do not belong and that we could do nothing to be able to earn the seat for. You just give in your grace. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.